Hello and welcome to this special edition of the Witch With Books podcast. Today we are shining a light on the Witch of Lupine Hollow, Tanae Stewart. Tanae is an author and a self-love and empowerment coach. Of course, it's not surprising that she's an author. It's a prerequisite for being on this podcast. Her first book was The Modern Witch's Guide to Magical Self-Care, and her latest is The Modern Witch's Guide to Natural Magic, which was just released. Tanae, thank you so much for being on the podcast. It's going to be great talking to you for the next 20 minutes or so. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I have to start with asking, where is Lupine Hollow? Because I'm reading your book, and I want to move there. just feels like this natural place, which is really different than my suburban life where I'm lucky to grow a sunflower. <laughs> great question. Great question. So originally, it was... It was an abstract. It was an abstract place. Um, the name originally came from, was really inspired by my favorite book when I was a kid, um, which is called Miss Rumpheus. And it's just like an illustrated children's book that I just always loved. And the premise of the book is that this little girl, her grandfather tells her that he wants her to do three things for him. He wants her to see the world. He wants her to live by the sea and he wants her to do one thing to make the world more beautiful. And so the book is all about like her travels and as she grows up and all these different things that she does and the house that she buys by the sea. And then at, towards the end of the book or halfway through the book, she is struggling with the last one. You know, she's older now and she's like, I don't know what's, what's going to make the world more beautiful. And so she ends up finding this seed catalog and she buys all these lupin seeds and she like scatters them all over her neighborhood. And in the spring they bloom. And so she, she becomes the lupin lady to like the little kids in her neighborhood. And I just always loved this book. And I don't really know where I came up with lupin hollow, but that's, that's where, that's where it came from. Um, and now we live in a really beautiful little cottage um, in Sebastopol, California, um, that has kind of become, it has become Lupin Hollow. It has stepped into the role. <laughs> that is like a so much better of a story than I was expecting. It was like, oh yeah, it's the name of the street that I live on or something. <laughs> but no, like ties your whole life together. It kind of does. It kind of does. <laughs> I love that you use the term modern witch in your book titles. And for those of you listening, today is sipping on tea. I'm sipping on an Americana. So if you hear a slurping, that's what it is. That's that's all it is. Uh, yep. So, yeah. But I love <laughs> modern witch in your book titles. What makes a modern witch to you? Mm, I feel like it's really this idea of magic in like our real lives, you know, that being a witch doesn't necessarily mean living in the perfect cottage on the edge of the forest, you know, like we can bring magic into our real lives in so many different ways. And it doesn't have to be something that's in conflict with our regular modern mundane lives and responsibilities. You know, it being a modern witch, I feel like really kind of brings these two sides of ourselves that we sometimes think as being really disparate, brings them together. That's a great answer. So there are a lot of different types of witchcraft out there today. You know, you read Instagram and there's this whole witchcraft world that I barely even know or understand. There's so many different witchcraft currents. Where exactly do you think that you fit in, in this current witchcraft moment that we are experiencing? 
Yeah. So I have always identified as a cottage witch and I don't know where that term came from originally where I first read it. I wish I could remember um, so many years ago now, but I, I do remember when I came across it, just feeling like it really went so far beyond a label for me, you know, like it really encapsulated so much about the practice I wanted to have and who I am. And it just, it, it felt liberating instead of limiting, you know, like when I tried to fit myself into other labels before they'd felt like a limit, like, Oh, but that doesn't really describe me. And so for me, that eventually has really evolved into home and sanctuary and sacred space are really the heart of my practice in my own life. And then in my work, it's really become so much about self-care. You know, a lot of, a lot of the content in my books were things and systems and tools that I originally developed for myself um, that I realized could be really helpful for other people. And I've been so lucky to get to share with other people. Um, but so it really sort of started from that sense of home um, and then kind of grew from like, well, what are other ways that magic can you know, nourish us and nurture us? Um, so I, in my own life, definitely identify as a cottage witch. And then in my work, you know, I would say, the connection to nature, the connection to sacred space, um, just a lot of those like really simple things that maybe we've, we've felt disconnected from in our modern lives that, you know, we, we coming back to that idea of like feeling like those two sides of ourselves are in conflict when they don't really need to be. Reading your work cottage, Witch sounds really perfect for you because it just feels homey and comfortable it's not witchcraft where you're drawing a giant pentagram on the floor that's what we do at my house yours is a little different and i like that about it because it's so welcoming and comforting i think people totally. just finding the craft are going to read your book and go oh yeah this so resonates with me exactly exactly yeah and i've just never been I don't know. I've just never been, I I do practice spell work, but it's just never been like a central part of my practice, you know? And so when, for me coming to it, even as a teenager, you know, it was always about the seasons and the moon and just those really like grounding, comforting experiences. And I love that about magic, that there are so many different ways you can go, you know, which on the one hand, I think can sometimes be overwhelming, especially for newer people. Mm -hmm feels like, well, how do I choose? You know, how do I, how do I fit myself into the right path and into the right box? Which is why I really do love like finding words that describe who we really are, you know, and really help us to define what we want out of our practice. And part of that is experimenting, you know, is, is doing different kinds of spell work is making tea blends is, you know, trying everything across the spectrum and then really discovering like what works for you. I've always thought in a lot of ways, witchcraft was about connection. You know, some of us connect to deity, some people connect to magic, some people connect to the turn of the seasons or the astrological year. And yeah, you're just cementing these ideas that I have because you, you know, you mentioned it, like I connect to the natural world. Yes, absolutely. I totally agree. Speaking about astrology for a second, it plays a major role in your practice. There are some witches out there who don't do a lot of astrology, Uh, Jason. Uh, So I have to ask, how does it affect your writing? 
and are there certain times on the astrological calendar where writing is just easier for you or perhaps much harder for you? That is a great question. Um, well, I definitely do find in general, not just in writing, but in general, that my most energized time of the year is in the fall and, and early winter. Um, and I've really come to relate that to my own chart that I have Virgo rising. And so the beginning of fall into winter is the the start of my chart um, with the first and second and third houses. And so that's kind of like when we feel most ourselves. Um, and so that's really become an important part of my own work is, is helping other witches to kind of find the time of year when they do feel most aligned. Um, especially because often I think when we are working with the seasons, we can feel similarly like we're meant to, you know, experience them in a particular way when really for some of us, you know, winter is when we feel most, most energized, not spring or summer, you know? Um, and so I can definitely say that that was a really like, life-changing thing to realize because I had always felt like lower energy in the summer. I'd always struggled with it. I'd always would just like not feel like myself, especially like June, July, early August, I would just not feel right. And I always would beat myself up about it. And when I finally really started to relate it to astrology, I realized that there's reasons, you know, in July and the beginning of August, the sun's in my 12th house. It's like the most intuitive inner part of the chart. And so although I still experience that, having an awareness of it has been so powerful in my life, in my relationships, in my practice to just really give myself grace that time of year when it's like, I'm probably going to feel lower energy. With that said, I will say I did have to finish this book during that time <laughs> to meet my deadlines. So, but I do think that it can still be really empowering to know that, to know that like, okay, I have this thing that I have to do during this time of year when I might not have chosen to do it, but I can kind of give myself permission, give myself grace and set myself up for success rather than, you know, just feeling bad about myself. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And summer is a slog. Oh man, I hate having finished books in the summer. Oh, it was rough. (laughs) So you write openly and honestly about not practicing the craft for a number of years in your work. And I love the honesty. I think even the most magical of us go through dry spells. And it's really important for authors to admit that their lives are not all spells and magical tinctures all the time. What sort of advice do you have for someone who has stepped away from their practice and is looking to re-engage? Mm, yes, such good questions, such good questions. Um, so in my case, when I stepped away from my practice, I didn't think I would come back to it. Um, it was really kind of a conscious choice. I, maybe not at first. I think I had kind of fallen off with my practice and then I made a decision. You know, I, I had been feeling bad about not being consistent and I decided, you know what, this is something I'm going to set aside and maybe eventually I'll come back to it. Um, and that went on for about two years. And I, in that process, I'd reached the, the point, the decision that I thought I wasn't going back to it. Um, I'm not really sure why, but really it just amounted to, I was commuting long hours. I was really busy. I had a lot going on at the time and 
I just felt I didn't have time for it. Um, and at a point I think I felt like I didn't miss it, you know? So it was like, well, if I'm not missing it, then, then I'm good. Right. Um, and then I lost my house in a wildfire and I spent about six months, like really in the grief. Um, and then I was kind of brought back to my practice and through a, a series of synchronicities. Um, and I realized that I needed that spiritual anchor, that I, I needed the healing that I could get from my practice and the support. Um, and so I really like recommitted to my practice at that point, six months after the fire and really never looked back. I mean, I really have been very committed to my practice ever since that was seven years ago. Um, but I think the biggest piece of advice is to let it come back when it's meant to, because I really never thought that I would. And it, I've been thinking about this a lot recently, where I feel like in some ways I still was practicing because so much of it is just who I am. You know, I was still really kind of celebrating the wheel of the year. I was still kind of aware of the full moon, you know, even if I wasn't really consciously doing it in retrospect, I was still aware and I was still connected. Um, because it's, this is just who I am. And there was, there was never going to be any getting around that, but, but I also don't think I could have forced it any earlier. You know, I needed that, that moment of realization that I really needed my practice. Um, and you know, I mean, if, if the fire hadn't happened, I don't know. I mean, I, I'd be in a completely different place in my life anyway. So I don't know what my, my spirituality would look like, but you know, it really changed everything. Um, but yeah, I think that's my best, best and biggest piece of advice would be to kind of let it return to you and and let yourself be guided back to your practice instead of trying to force it. You know, you talk about you're celebrating the seasons, even when you thought you weren't. I mean, I, I think it's some of us, it's really hard to escape the craft and the energies of the earth and stuff. Your book specifically references natural magic. What to you is natural magic? Yeah. Well, you know, it's so funny. So I mean, I'll be super honest and you'll understand this as a writer. Um, I didn't pick the title <laughs> and it's oh, not yes. a term that I had ever really used before. Um, but I kind of fell in love with it because I think it really does describe a lot of what I do. Um, because like I mentioned, I don't do a lot of spell work. I usually, I, I do spell work when I really need that extra layer of support, you know? So it's like usually around like big emotional things that are happening in my life. Um, so it's not something I do on a day-to-day -day basis, but I certainly do magic on a day-to-day -day basis in my own way. And so I, I did really kind of fall in love with this idea of natural magic as being like anything where we're connecting with the earth, anything where we're connecting with nature, with plants is in and of itself magic just by having an awareness of what we're doing and why it's significant. Um, and so I think it, it's, it kind of fits right in with my whole cottage witch thing um, as being like a really just simple nature-based, earth-based approach to magic and knowing that you know, when I, when I pick a cup of tea in the morning, when I pick what tea I'm going to drink, like I'm doing magic just by doing that, just by choosing which plants I'm going to align with for that day. 
you like read my questions in advance or something. It's like so natural talking to you because I think there's this idea for a lot of people that magic has to be this really involved thing with nine crystals, 17 candles, a bunch of tools and stuff. And to me, brewing tea is a magical act. You know, little things can be magical acts. And I love that's really a focus of your book. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and it's funny because when I was first talking to my editor about writing this book and they wanted me to write about natural magic and I was like initially a little resistant because I'm like, you know, I'm not really an herbalist. I'm not, you know, I'm not certified in any of that, that kind of thing. And initially I had like a little imposter syndrome about it where I was like, I don't know if I'm qualified to write about this. And then my friends and family are like, but you make tea every single day. Like you can definitely write about that. (laughs) Like you definitely know what you're talking about with that. And so I decided to really make this a book that's about herbalism for someone who's not really an herbalist, you know, someone who doesn't necessarily make tinctures and complicated things all the time, who maybe might want to dabble with those things sometimes, but it's not like a huge project that they're doing every day, you know, which is the case for me. Like, sure, sometimes I'll do something more in depth or more complex, but mostly I'm making a cup of tea and putting some oils in the diffuser. You know, I'm, I'm doing really simple things, but I'm doing them with awareness and intention. And so although there's lots of different types of recipes and different types of projects in the book, they're really simple. They're really accessible because those are the kinds of things that I would want to make, you know, and that I do make. So that's what I wanted to share. There are so many activities and recipes in the book. And one of these days, you and I have to drink gin together. Just has to happen. Yes. (laughs) But So there's so much stuff. Are all of those recipes and activities things you've been doing for the last seven years or more? Or were you actively creating things during the slog of summer while working on the book? Yeah, you know, it's definitely some of both. Like some of the recipes in the book are things that I've made forever and ever and ever. Um, And I do, I do talk about that with some of them. Most of the recipes have like a little introduction and I'll talk about, you know, oh, this is a recipe my mom and I made when I was a kid or this and that, you know, so some of them are definitely things I've made forever. Um, And then some of them I definitely came up with for the book, um, which was a really fun challenge since it was so structured. You know, there's one recipe for every new moon, one for every full moon, one for every astrological sign for every festival in the wheel of the year. Like it's very structured, um, which definitely also helped with writing it in the summertime because it was like, I could just pick and choose what I felt drawn to write about that day. Um, but it was also a really fun challenge to kind of fill in, okay, I need, you know, this many tea recipes and this many diffuser blends and, and et cetera. Um, and, you know, filling in initially with the ones that I love and make all the time. And then, needing to kind of dig into the puzzle of like, okay, how can we number one, keep the, um, I wanted to keep the list of plants to like a relative minimum. Um, because again, I wanted it to be really accessible. I didn't want someone to have to go out and buy 30 different herbs just to make the recipes in the book. And there are, there are a few that are only in one or two, but mostly there's a lot of overlap and that was intentional. Um, and so it was like a little bit of a, like, herbal Sudoku of like, how can I make lots of different recipes that are unique, that are specific to this season or this moon, um, but that are you know still going to be really easy for people and accessible. Um, so yeah, it was really fun actually. <laughs> 
So one of the things that stands out, you know, I pick up your book, it comes in the mail, I rip it open, I'm excited, I start looking through it. There are a lot of pictures in your book. As a Llewellyn author, we don't get pictures, especially in color. Were the pictures an essential part of your vision for the book? Yeah, you know, I mean, I have to say, I am so lucky. My publisher is so supportive and open. Um, and actually, the first book, the, both of my books are really similar in format. Um, and, you know, the first book, they pretty much decided they wanted full color, they wanted hardcover. Um, and then it did well. So we did it again. Um, but I was thrilled with that because photos and imagery has always been a really important part of my brand because I think that it's, I don't know. Well, maybe it's just simply a a visual thing that I, my degrees in art history, I, in my own branding, not in the books, but in my own branding, I bring in a lot of art. Um, and I just think that there's something really powerful about visuals. Um, and so, yeah, the, the photos in the book, people always say that the book is so beautiful. Um, and I'm, I'm so glad that that comes across because I don't know, I, I think that making our practices beautiful isn't necessary, but it can be really supportive. And it can do, like we were saying at the beginning, it can do that thing of bringing together these different parts of our lives. You know, we can bring the the beautiful aspects of our practice into our regular lives. And also, you know, we can allow our regular lives to be part of our practice. Um, so I think there's a balance, a balance to be struck there. But yeah, all of the pictures in the book were taken at my house. Um, which is, which is fun too. You know, they're, they're really authentic in that sense that it's like my mugs, my, my teapots, my (laughs) counter, (laughs) all the things. (laughs) It it feels like cottage witchery looking at the book. Again, it's that sort of, I'm giving you a nice long witchcraft hug while you look at this picture. Yeah. (laughs) So every book is a journey, at least for me, I know every book is a journey and every book is a exercise and imposter syndrome. What did you discover about yourself while writing this book? Mm, I think one of the things definitely, well, definitely one of the things was like getting more comfortable in claiming, you know, my knowledge about plants and about herbalism. Um, But also this book really helped me get a lot of clarity on my work and on the the systems and tools that I use and that I teach, um, which was really fascinating because a lot of what's in the book, I was already teaching. I was already teaching this idea of moving through the cycles of nature with with astrology and and all of that. Um, But writing this book and bringing in the plants and kind of drawing more and more connections between all those different cycles and tools really gave me a lot of clarity, especially on how this book connects to my first book. Because when I first started writing it, you know, they're, they're connected thematically, but I didn't really see them as, you know, you read one and then you read the next. Um, but I really got so much clarity around how working with these cycles, working with plants is self-care. You know, the first book is really all about how can you create magical, spiritual self-care rituals for yourself. Um, It's really a guidebook in that sense. This one is almost more of a workbook. I've had people say that, you know, it's like, you know, checking in every month. Okay. What recipes, what things are we working with this month, this season? Um, 
And the thing is that really working with those cycles is hugely self-care for me. You know, it helps me to be in flow. It helps me to manage my own energy, to kind of know where I'm at and what I'm feeling and why. Um, And so it, it really, I think the biggest thing was helping me to see that my work is so much more connected than I really thought it was. Great answer. So what's your next project? The Witch's Guide to... I don't know yet. What? I don't know yet. I am oh. I'm kind of hoping. I'm kind of hoping I'm putting this out there. Um, I'm kind of hoping that it might be something more of a, a guide to like your astrology chart. Um, but but I'm not sure. We'll see. We'll see. I'm definitely the the big thing I'm working on right now is um we're doing a spring festival um that'll be virtual. And then I have an annual summit that I host in the fall. Um so we're adding the spring event on, um, which is really exciting. I, I love to really do a lot of collaborating with other authors and other teachers. Um, so that's that's the big project that I'm working on right now is introducing the spring festival um and then you know kind of looking ahead to the fall summit, um, which are both so much fun. It's really so inspiring to work with other people um, and kind of not only get to share my perspective on all these things, but have other diverse perspectives as well. So that's the current project, but you know, hopefully there's an astrology book in the future. (laughs) Speaking of connections, if people want to know more about you and connect with you online, how can they do that? Yeah. So pretty much everything's on my website, just witchoflupinhollow.com. Um, or you can find me on Instagram at lupinhollow. You've been fabulous to talk to today. This has been great. I've had a really good time. Hope my questions weren't too silly. No, they were amazing. Such good questions. Thank you so yes. much. So thank you so much for being on the show. This has been the Witch With Books podcast, and we'll read with you next time.